Welcome to the Vision Driven Marriage Podcast. If you're struggling in your marriage, or maybe you're wondering if it's even salvageable, before you give up or before you let things get too hard, let us come alongside you and help you solidify your marriage. We offer biblical encouragement and insight to help you strengthen your marriage. Living through a traumatic event can cause emotional and physical reactions long after the trauma is over. These reactions are called trauma responses. According to the International Society for Traumatic Stress Studies, survivors may feel vulnerable and confused about what is safe, and therefore it may be difficult to trust others, even those whom they have trusted in the past. Today we are very blessed to have Ron and Haley Wood on The Vision Driven Marriage. Ron is a licensed professional counselor and a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. And Haley is a certified life coach and a certified relationship coach. And she is a trauma survivor. Haley often shares about her trauma response and how her husband, Ron, has helped her overcome many triggers. You can connect with Ron and Haley at runtheracetogether.com or on their free private Facebook group, The Simple Marriage. Let's listen in to our conversation. Welcome, Ron and Haley. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank We're you. so glad to be here. <laughs> we are so glad that you've joined us here today. And as you talk about trauma in a relationship, it's something that a lot of couples deal with. And a lot of couples don't know how to talk about it, let alone know that they really need to talk about it. So can you tell us what trauma is and how it really affects relationships? And then tell us a little bit about how it's affected your relationship. So, well, do you want to start off by telling them a little bit about what trauma is? Sure. You know, one of the things about trauma is is some people would say it's it's a normal reaction to abnormal events. So, you know, trauma is, is an emotional response to something terrible that uh, like, that may happen to us, like an accident, a natural disaster, assault, something like that. In some cases, maybe the person has been directly involved in what happened. In other cases maybe you've witnessed something traumatic and and that can have an impact on you so uh another definition of, of trauma would be going through very stressful frightening or distressing events um that's what i understand about trauma do mm -hmm. you know anything different no i mean i i would say that's a really great place to start and there are there are different types of trauma and so three that we typically like to talk about is acute trauma, chronic, and complex trauma. And so with acute trauma, that's something where you likely experience something one time. So an acute trauma for us is we were both present when my dad passed away, and it was not a peaceful passing away. That was an acute trauma. And uh, you have chronic traumas, and chronic trauma is more of a repeated and prolonged, uh, so domestic violence, abuse, something that has happened for a period of time. And um, something that people, especially in relationships, don't always assume is chronic trauma is when there is infidelity in the relationship, especially if they continue to do it, you know, over the years and and continue to be unfaithful. So that is a trauma that well, people there's experience. There's a whole like method, a whole like treatment 
philosophy around betrayal trauma is betrayal trauma yes so we just kind of we want to say that sometimes because people don't realize that that is trauma but it has such an impact on our brains and how we think and how we respond you know i mean it, it is a true betrayal and can create trauma for someone and the last type of trauma that we talk about is complex trauma and for complex trauma it is typically being exposed to multiple types of trauma. And when I share our story with you, uh, you're going to hear the the complex trauma in my story and the fact that there, there are layers of trauma through the years. And so those are the three types of trauma that we, we talk about. And then within that trauma, we often experience something called triggers. Yes. Now, Ron is also an, uh, a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. So when you're talking about triggers in that environment, often you're talking about something that makes you want to consume your drug or alcohol of choice. And that's not what we're talking about here. Right here, we are talking about the types of triggers that, um, well, there's kind of two types of triggers that we talk about. Do you want to tell them about those two types? Right. One, one can get us thinking about something that happened. It, it, it's a reminder and 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 we may get somewhat dysregulated, uh, but maybe not too bad, you know. But it gets us thinking about it. It's, it's it conjures a, up a memory. It conjures up a memory exactly. Uh, another one is is more of a reliving. Like so, it's it's more than a memory. It's it's more of like um, you know you will find yourself with the same thoughts, the same emotions, and even body sensations that you may have had at the time that, that you experienced a traumatic event. And, and we've seen that um, with Haley, especially mm-hmm. um, where, you know, it, uh, we'll probably talk about that later. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So that is, that is probably a pretty deep introduction to trauma and, <laughs> and, you know, how it can affect us. And obviously when we're talking about triggers, that has a tremendous impact on our relationships. I think that is a great introduction And one of the things that we want to be able to give our listeners in the coming weeks is how to have a trauma-informed marriage. So this is an excellent definition, an excellent um, explanation of what it is, because sometimes there's a spouse that's experiencing the trauma and their husband or wives don't understand what their reaction is. Right. And as we look at trauma in any person's life it affects the way they respond to other things and sometimes the response doesn't seem like it fits the current situation they're in and in a relationship it's so important to understand that because otherwise you could believe things that aren't true as the trauma uh influenced partners dealing with things if you if you don't realize what's going on it could feel um like it's your fault when it may not be. It could feel like you're a huge failure when that's not necessarily true. It's a direct reaction of, of the amygdala kicking in and, and the trauma-informed brain saying help. Actually, mm-hmm. if it's okay with you guys, um, maybe we can just give a brief description of what happens with the brain whenever those triggers happen. Because I think when we explain this, we see lights go on with people, with Mm -hmm. the spouse of the triggered partner, with the person who deals with the trauma. And they often are like, oh my goodness, I feel that. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And they feel seen. And the spouse is like, yes, I've seen that happen before. And so if it's okay with you, let's just take a minute to explain what happens in the brain 
when someone with trauma gets triggered. Um, <laughs> do you do you mind explaining that? No, you know, and and Doug, you just mentioned the amygdala, right? So the amygdala is known as the the brain smoke detector. So, the, which is just what you said, you know, danger, danger. So, so that's that's housed in the in the midbrain. So we'll use this example. Uh, you know, that's housed in the midbrain, and and it's it's covered over by what we think of when we see a picture of the brain, the, you know, the prefrontal cortex and and all that. But you know, this is this this midbrain is is um, really it's one of its functions is to get us through the next fifteen seconds alive. You know, and and so some of our survival instincts are fight, flight, and freeze. And so um, when when our when we've been traumatized, it's it's believed that a lot of those a lot of our memories might be connected somehow to the amygdala or the amygdala senses you know danger. But sometimes there's not a real threat. And again, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But just for now, you know, um, and and what happens though, and this there's a purpose to this. But we we talk about you know we can flip our lid. So when we get really, really anxious um, or, or experience a trauma trigger, like our lid might flip, which, which really indicates that, that does the prefrontal cortex, which is designed to help us make judgments and think through things, like all of a sudden it's not happening. And, and you, can, you can understand like if you were a caveman and you're faced with a saber-toothed tiger, like you don't really need to think, well, maybe I should form a focus group and figure out what to do here. You need to, you need to act quickly. And so that's what this is designed to help us do. But in our modern society, like sometimes it, it, again, we might act as though there's danger when there really isn't or, or when the threat ha ha is passed, but in our brain, it feels very similar. So our, our, our brain is kind of always pulling in things from past experiences yeah. to act on. So a great example of that is if you had, you know, like it's, it's Independence Day and you hear a pop outside, right? So all of a sudden your amygdala is exposed because you hear this pop and it's like, you know, danger. But, you know, if you don't have any traumatic experiences that sound like that, then, I mean, it, it just covers it back up. So whatever lid was flipped, I mean, it's just almost just as quickly, it covers your amygdala back up. But if you are a person who has been in combat and you hear that pop outside, that lid gets flipped and your, your brain is remembering last time, last time I heard this noise, danger, 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 you need to react. You need to do something, right? And so what happens then is their lid can come back down, but it's at a much slower rate than someone who hasn't experienced that. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is even right, I guess, technically, but for me, I know it's almost like, have you ever had your front door open and then had your back door open at the same time and then your back door, you let it go and it should automatically close, but it doesn't because of the pressure systems in the house. It kind of ends up just staying open, you know, and it's just kind of stuck open, kind of blowing in the wind. Sometimes I feel like that happens with our brains. That lid starts to come back down. It's like it gets stuck open a little bit and it just kind of you know, goes in the wind. And so you become much more sensitive to scenarios and circumstances and things like that. And the amount of time that that amygdala stays um, sensitive is going to vary per person, 
her scenario and those sorts of things. And, and I had, so I had someone yeah. tell me the other day, uh, she can be like that for days. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes yeah. I think maybe hours, but she said it could be, it could be three, four days mm -hmm. before her, her, she comes back to a normal way of thinking and, and feeling. So I hope that's a helpful description to some of, of you that are listening. And I hope it helps it make sense because we can feel like we're crazy, you know, and the person who is with us can be like, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? You know, and the reality is, no, our body is doing what it was designed to do. God gave us this function of the brain to tell us danger, danger, danger. And your brain remembers like, hey, last time I was in a similar scenario as this, it wasn't good. You know, and so part of, you know, coming together and having conversations like this is the brain can often get retrained, so to speak, and we can learn to live within those scenarios and do things that can be incredibly helpful to us so that when those moments come, we have a way to respond and do this together in a way that bonds our relationship rather than tear it apart. Because in all those descriptions, you can see why it can be so incredibly damaging. Because when someone's brain goes offline, you know, it's it's hard to hold them accountable for anything, but yet you shouldn't be a punching bag, you know, emotionally or physically. And it's like, so what do you do? Well, and Doug talked about like, oh, you might, if you're the non-traumatized person, you might feel bad or guilty you know, something else i thought of is you know when you don't understand why your traumatized spouse is acting that way you, you can make it worse you know like hey what's your problem why are you acting like that cut it out don't talk to me that way you know yeah. whatever because it, it, it's hard to understand you, 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 because like you said sometimes these these responses are are more than the situation really might normally call for you know it's bigger this big response to this maybe relatively mundane, seemingly mundane situation. Well, and I know that our listeners, some of them are relating to what you're saying right now and because they, they're saying oh, that describes what I couldn't put words to. Maybe somebody who's been through trauma said, you know, I have felt like this doesn't make sense, even felt like it was crazy and I shouldn't be doing this, but I am. And a, a spouse who's got a, a, a traumatized spouse might be dealing with exactly what you were talking about, Ron. And so we know that it's not as unusual as people think it is. It's just not talked about as often as it ought to be. So what could you share that you all have learned through the course of, of figuring out how to better navigate post-trauma in a relationship? So we have, I have some individual trauma that I brought into the relationship, and then we have some shared trauma together. So Ultimately, you know, where my trauma began is at 12 years old, I was groomed by an older person. Um, and eventually that led to sexual abuse, which led to a pregnancy when I was 14 years old. That pregnancy was ended with abortion. And then a month later, you guys, my best friend died in a car accident. And it was so traumatic because like through that grooming process, I had really isolated myself anyways. That's something that a person in that position will do is try to get you separated from anybody who loves you or cares for you. And um, so when my best friend died, I mean, loneliness does not even cover uh, what I was experiencing. And I didn't even, I, this, 
this sounds crazy now, <laughs> but at the time I did not realize that I was actually being abused because it was, you know, the manipulation of my abuser and things like that. I just thought I was a really bad girl, you know? And so it wasn't until I was in probably my early 20s and um, my abuser actually got arrested for doing something similar to someone else that it all of a sudden hit me that it was abuse, you know, and then it became much more apparent to me. And that around that same time is actually when I came into a relationship with the Lord and Oh, man, I started realizing all the different ways that my abuse had affected me and decisions I was making that really was tied to that abuse, you know, and and it wasn't, you know, just an excuse to then go behave these ways. I mean, it had just marked my um, being, I guess. I, I didn't know who I was apart from the abuse and you know, how to turn things around. And and I came into a relationship with Jesus. And I think everybody always wants to hear, like, I came into a relationship with Jesus and everything got better. And I like to say, I came into a relationship with Jesus and it got worse <laughs> because, you know, because all of a sudden, like, I trusted him. And so I started becoming willing to be vulnerable and open up things that I had not been willing to do. And he made calls on my life that required me to dig deep and that was hard and it was painful. Well, several years after that is when I met Ron. And so, man, I'd had so much healing and it was beautiful and wonderful. And so when we got married, you know, I was able to tell him all about the abuse that I had overcome. <laughs> and, uh, and then when we got married, it was a new level of vulnerability for me that I had not experienced before. And so uh, we, so when I first began experiencing triggers, I didn't recognize them as triggers. Ron did not recognize them as triggers. We just were trying to figure out how to fix whatever it was that was going on with me, especially when we were, you know, having sex and being physically intimate and all that kind of stuff. I was like, whoa, you know, what is going on here? So that is one level of trauma that we experienced. And then uh, in 2011, uh, we had a son pass away. And so that was another level of trauma that we experienced together, you know, just holding his body and saying goodbye to him. And, and you know, and that was also complex trauma in the fact that he died. I ended up having significant health issues that re resulted in a seven hour surgery for me just uh, two months after he passed. And my mom actually died just a couple of months after he passed. So again, oh, we were just really? hit so with sorry. Thank you. It was it was just really this triple whammy, you know. And we were at the what I felt like was like kind of a pinnacle, you know, of of yeah. our relationship because we had gone through so much with with the trauma from my past, and then yeah. we were just feeling so healed and good. And we were leading Celebrate Recovery. So if anybody's familiar with Celebrate Recovery, we just give it a woo woo. Like it really helped us. It was great. And we were leading Celebrate Recovery. And, you know, we just we were at such a sweet spot in our relationship when that happened. And and so we really had to take some steps back and say, OK, do we really believe all the things that we've been teaching and being a part of? And how can we apply them as we're going through the trauma rather than, you know, 15 years after the trauma, you know, and so that that gave us the biblical principles to really be able to dive in and use them as we were going. And so 
those are some of the traumas that we have had separately and together. And I share that because, um, you know, I just want to let you guys know some of what, how that has affected our relationship and some of what Ron has had to put up with. And, um, you know, I've had the triggers that just turned up memories and then I've had triggers where it's actually a reliving. And, um, most of those were like most of the time now I only have triggers that bring up memories but every once in a while still I have a reliving and in fact uh, last May we had a huge scenario where we were in a drive-through and I had a reliving trigger it was so bizarre I mean it was to the point that I even got out of the car and started walking we were out of state and Ron was just like, whoa, what just happened? Um, and in my mind, I was I was essentially kind of in a different place. And it was so scary. Our children were there. And, and my mom was there. Yeah, his mom was there. Don't tell anybody. But she just kept telling him that he needed to pull over and get me wine afterwards. It's <laughs> 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 like, no, she doesn't need wine. Like, like we're going to you know, just, just stay calm. We're going to get there. I, I didn't exactly know exactly what to do, but I did mentioned to my mom who is a very very loving person i know she just does not want to see anybody yeah. that dysregulated i knew she was going to want to you know try to do some fixing and i said mom when she gets back in the car don't say anything don't do anything i i've got this yeah. it's going to be okay and and that that really comes from trusting haley like i know that she is going to figure it out but like essentially my plan was nobody do anything don't do anything and i think that's exactly what needed to happen and 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 so kind of to your to your question you know well did you need to describe no, what happened well or? i don't know that i need to describe what happened but i i think that's really a good lead in what do you do when those sorts of yeah, things sure. happen as the person standing by and i i can talk a little bit to the you know the traumatized person as well but you know the question is what do you do as as the onlooking person. Right. I think one of the things is try to recognize when your spouse's reaction seems over the top for the situation you find yourself in and, and allow for some kind of a cool down period. Just just take a break, take a time out. Again, we talked about this a minute ago, but don't try to try to not take it personally and get on the defensive. Because I'll tell you, when Haley got triggered in that way, it was it was uh, I hadn't seen her like that in a long time. She was pointing at me. She was almost, almost even cussing at me. And like, but e even in that moment, I thought to myself, I, I don't think I did anything to deserve this. Like something strange is happening here. And I just, I didn't, um, I didn't respond. I didn't do anything, but I could see how in another life, you know, I would have been like, hey, you're, you don't need to be talking to me like that. You need to just calm down, you know, yeah. or something that's not going to make it any better. So so a, a couple of things just from that experience that I learned is, you know, just recognize when this that it's over the top for the situation you're in and um, allow for a cool down and don't take it personally. You, you, if, if it's not if it's a, if the reaction is not an obvious fight, flight or freeze response, try to calmly ask some clarifying questions about what they might be thinking and feeling, but give some space. Um, you know, and one thing we have found often is to ask those clarifying questions 
sometimes just needs to be later. Yeah, just later. Right. You know, you know, you can ask like, hey, what is helpful to you now or something like that. But if you really want to have a conversation about what's going on, I would say generally try to let their brain reseat and then say, is this a good time to talk about what happened and make a plan then for even if it were to happen again, you know, those sorts of things. But often conversations in those moments, you know, I know we don't want to sweep things. I'm not talking about sweeping things under the rug. I'm talking about coming back later when both of you are in a healthier space to have that conversation. I don't even think it's fair to ask the triggered person to engage in a reasoning conversation because, you know, the part of their brain that can do that is offline. Right. Right. So, so you want to try to decrease that emotional reactivity that's going to keep the person in the fight, flight, or freeze and, and for the non-traumatized spouse, try to tolerate those uncomfortable feelings that are arising without engaging in any kind of defeating behavior that's going to, you know, mess with the relationship, maybe, you know, uh, harm the person who's already dysregulated. Yeah, because it's so easy for us to get on the defensive. You know, if we don't realize that, that our spouse is triggered and then they're reacting in a way that puts us on the defensive and then it's, it's game on, you know? Right. A client one time said it to me very well. She said, love me until I'm me again. And and I thought that was really, really well put, you know, and that, that, that kind of explains that whole process of like, okay, I'm extremely dysregulated right now. I'm not really me. And, you know, we're not really talking about it, but there's the concept of dissociation you know, I'm not really me, you know, um, uh, but can you love me until I'm me again? And then we can come back and have a conversation like Haley and I did. I think it was maybe a day later, mm-hmm. we were out for a walk and she said, I think I know what happened. I think, And she was just, but she spent some time going over it, putting the pieces and back together. About and about it and, and asking yeah. God for some clarity. And, you know, because those things, those moments are really scary. You know, because it's like, man, if it happened this time, how do I know it's not going to happen again or, you know, something like that. And and they can be really scary. So it is good to come back together because neither of you desire that, right? you know, right. that's not something either of you want. And so, you know, one thing I think is important for Ron to talk about here is um, I want to give a lot of grace and space to the person that has been traumatized. But what we have to realize is that one thing that is so difficult with trauma and especially abuse survivors is that, you know, the person who's on the receiving end of that is not the only victim. You know, when we get married, they become a shared victim in that. And so, you know, we need to also have grace and space for the spouse who is on the receiving end of that. And, you know, I want, I want the spouse to, you know, have patience and endurance and all the things that Ron was talking about, but it's so important for that person to also take care of themselves. They do not need to just be a punching bag. And so I would like to ask you to maybe share what are some things to do to take care of yourself when you're in that situation, the spouse of the trauma survivor. 
One thing I, I think it's you try to remain calm all the time, but it, it doesn't hurt to set some necessary and appropriate boundaries in your relationship. Um, to to mention, you know, like I, I okay, I, I don't I don't think I deserve that right now, or or I think something's going on, you know, maybe call a timeout or something like that. But to have some some appropriate uh, boundaries. Um, reach out to others for help when you need it. Um, I know early on in our early on in our marriage, I was with a group of men who um, uh, they were older than I was. I just happened to be the youngest guy in the group, but you know they had been through this for years and could speak into like some of my situations. So I had a place to to uh, to talk about that kind of stuff and and um, try to create some some new rhythms. Try to understand each other learn some new skills learn some 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 new even terminology for communicating uh with each other and trying to understand when the situation is getting out of control before it gets too far gone but and before you know again you know if there's name calling or any kind of abuse or something like that it's okay to set a boundary and say okay i understand that you're upset right now and i'm sorry uh, what would be most helpful to you in this situation? Uh, calling me names isn't isn't appropriate, right? Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to say here, you know, Ron said that when I had that trigger, one thing that helped him to remain calm is because he trusted me. And so the first thing I would say to the trauma survivor is um, hmm, our trauma is not our fault. But our trauma response is our responsibility. I'm sorry. I know you didn't ask for it, but that is the reality of it, right? And so that means, you know, just continue to pursue, you know, health and wholeness, spiritually, emotionally, physically, like do those things to just honor your body and learn more about your body and your brain. And um, one of my favorite things to to have realized is that when you've experienced trauma, one of the first things that gets affected is our ability to imagine. And so I've kind of like challenged my brain to, you know, that's what worry is. It's just like imagination used differently, right? And so like when it comes to so many of the things that trigger, you know, horrible things, if it's something that's coming up for me consistently, I like to try to use my imagine to imagination to reimagine what that situation would look like or you know what if when Ron tells me how he would like his peanut butter and jelly sandwich he's not actually saying that I'm a complete idiot right like that that was one of our earliest fights in our marriage like I thought he was telling me how stupid I was and and I mean all he said was like hey if you're making me a pb and j like do it like this you know and I was like what you know and so you know it's like what if I reimagine that Ron was actually just trying to let me know how he likes his peanut butter and jelly sandwich. What might happen happen after that scenario if I were to respond with peaches and roses, you know, or whatever it is, you know, it's just like, like, you know, using my imagination and even, um, even on a more powerful note, using my imagination to like see the Holy Spirit 
like coming out of me and defending myself against whatever those thoughts that are coming at me, mm-hmm. you know, and that was very powerful for me um, on numerous occasions, you know, to help me with nightmares that I was having and, you know, other things that were happening there. And so that was powerful, you know, pursuing a mental health counselor. EMDR is um, a technique that's out there right now to me, like, like putting that together, especially with what I know about the Holy Spirit and believing that the Holy Spirit can use that in me was so powerful and so helpful. So just keep pursuing health and wholeness spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And so that will help you to give grace to yourself. And also that gives you an opportunity to not shame or deny your partner's reality. Because if I can release the shame off of myself, then I don't have to defend myself, you know, because if I see he's hurting, I want to almost like downplay that because then I feel responsible for it. Right. So, but if I'm pursuing spiritual and emotional wholeness, I can release myself from the shame, which in turn lets me be united with my husband and say, yeah, you are hurting. That makes sense to me. Instead of being like, well, you don't even know, like, like my thing was so much worse and you're, you know, just being whatever about it. You know, it's like all of a sudden I can see his pain and know I am not, I, something I did may have kind of brought that about, but together we can acknowledge it and pursue healing and hope in our marriage. And so that communication then can open up and you can start working through those things together rather than me being over here in this corner and him being over here in this corner. Uh, One tidbit of information I will say that we have learned from our experience that I hope is really helpful to people is when we, especially in our physical intimacy, first we're just having problems and it was stirring up so much stuff in me. All I could think is Ron must be doing something wrong. (laughs) And so it feels a lot like blame because I did not realize it was triggers. So I was like, well, it's probably because you need to do this or probably because you need to do that. And, you know, at some point in time, Ron's like, man, you just kind of keep changing the the story on me. The line keeps moving. You gave me this checklist. I checked off. Now I got a whole new checklist. And we see that a lot with couples, by the way. They're like, well, you know, he or she is just always moving the finish line. Like they told me if I just did this, if I just did that. And so I want to change and encourage people to change how they communicate about what they think will be helpful. Is that when you share something that you think will be helpful, instead of pretending like your partner needs to do it for a lifetime, Say, I'm not really sure what's going to be helpful, but I would like to try blah, blah, blah. And then you try it for a little while and you come back and say, so was that thing actually helpful? Oh, no, it wasn't that helpful or this part of it was. So let's tweak it a little bit and let's try something else. I, I mean, it just helps, I think, to reframe it. Because it's not a blaming thing. It's like, I I'm, I'm really don't know. This is very complicated for me too, but I want to keep trying. And I want to keep inviting you into the trying with me, you know, and just try it for a little while or once. I mean, because you may try it once and figure out it ain't, it ain't where we, we need to go, <laughs> you know, um, and just try it once. 
twice, something like that, and then just reshape it or throw it out altogether, whatever you need to do. Um, I think that will help the spouse feel like they are not getting blamed for what is happening. And it'll keep you united as you continue to try things to help your marriage grow instead of always just creating all these, um, because look, there are some things for us that are off bounds because of the abuse, but there are a lot of things that we have been able to continue to grow through by just trying it little steps at a time and figuring out what is actually a good thing for us to do and doing it safely in unity with one another. Well, and that gives the spouse a sense of control. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, if, if the checklist keeps changing, if the goal line keeps moving, I don't feel any control in the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't feel like I have any agency. So this gives the the spouse a sense of control to just work together, try these things, like you're like what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. And what a beautiful example of how honesty in that relationship can be a, a practical way to live out the biblical truth that we're to consider others as more important than ourselves in conjunction with God calling us to realize that we're one. I just, you know, what incredible practical advice, both for the spouse who's been through trauma and the spouse who's loving the spouse who's been through trauma. It's one of those things where there's always so many things that we can do and it's a process. I'm so grateful that you shared so much about the process you've been through. Well, thank you. And I will say, you know, Neither of us, I know some people are like, you know, can I know the verse, consider it all joy, but neither of us are really grateful for the traumas that we've endured. What I will say is that I believe, though, that the things that we have had to grow through has created, created a tremendous amount of trust and intimacy in our relationship. I believe that our relationship is at a level of intimacy that I never dreamed of. And it is because we kept coming together in these things and having patience for one another. It wasn't always easy. I mean, initially we would have talks for hours and hours that were draining and, and those sorts of things. But you guys, we kept coming back to the table and kept pursuing that wholeness and healing. And, and like, I am just, so grateful that I have a safe place to be broken because it takes the shame away from being broken. Mm-hmm. And that's grateful. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. That was amazing. And I know that God's going to use that to help people in some amazing ways. We want to make sure in just a moment that anything else that you feel like you really want to share, you have an opportunity to do that. Along with your saying, Doug, something that we encountered when we did our Facebook Live um, about this is uh, somebody said, you know, I just, I watched your Facebook Live and and I started looking around my house and, and thought, oh my goodness, there's so many people here that have experienced trauma and I never knew it. And and he just said, this kind of gives me a, a framework. Uh, he's, he's like looking at, at his whole family through a different lens you know, and, and uh, I just thought well, that that's pretty incredible, you know, and, and he kind of admitted, he's like, I don't think I've been doing much to make it any better for anybody, you know, uh, so that was pretty awesome. Well, isn't that the case when the trauma affects your ability to imagine, it also affects our ability to be empathetic? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes yep. it does. Yep. 
It does. And Haley talked about that, you know, sometimes it's like, well, okay, yeah, yeah, you've been, you've been through this, but I've been through, uh, <clears throat> I've been through that. It's, it's funny. I, I saw this far side cartoon that kind of typified that it's, it's these two sailors and this one, this one sailor, he's saying, yeah, that's a pretty good story, but did I ever tell you how I got this? And he's pointing to a peg leg and the guy he's talking to has a peg for a head. And he's got a little sailor snap on it. Yeah, it's a pretty good story. But let me tell you how I got this peg leg. And it's just like, man, that's like the ultimate in like trying to one up somebody, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, Ron and Haley, where can we find you? Well, we are at our business is runtheracetogether.com. So you can always find us there. Everything you need to know about us is there, all of our links and things like that. But uh, specifically, because we see clients individually and we see couples together. So that's super fun, uh, both of those things. And you can find all that on the website. But specifically for couples, we do have a free private Facebook group called The Simple Marriage. And it's not because we think that marriage is necessarily simple, but we believe that when we live by certain biblical principles and the other things that we have learned and, you know, professionally and personally, that we can certainly make marriage simpler. And we want people to be able to experience in that, experience that and share in that. So the simple marriage is the Facebook group and uh, runtheracetogether.com. Wonderful. And all those links will be in the show notes. So, well, thank, thank you guys. guys. Thank you guys for joining us. We're so happy that you did. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It, we're glad to have this opportunity to talk about this. And I, I really hope and pray that it's helpful. And for anybody who's listening, I just, our hearts and our prayers are for you. And um, God's heart is for you and not against you. And we're so grateful that we have these spaces to come together and grow and learn together. So thank you guys for hosting Doug and Leslie. We really appreciate it. Wasn't that a great conversation with Ron and Haley Wood? We are so grateful that they joined us on the Vision Driven Marriage to share their expertise. Ron and Haley have developed a resource for you called Seven Tips for a Healthy Trauma Response. This free article helps husbands and wives understand a common trauma response called hypervigilance and the steps toward hope and healing. We hope you will utilize this free resource provided by Ron and Haley Wood at Run the Race Together. All the links are in the show notes. 